0: We're in the book of Revelation, finishing up the seven churches tonight, and next week we're going to be in the throne of uh, room of God. And uh, something I want to call your attention to as, we, as we've been going through this is these letters to the seven churches are letters of love. Don't mistake them for letters of judgment. They're not that. These are absolute letters of love. In fact, every single letter to every single church is a call to repentance, a call to change. A call to return to God. So, um, as we finish up tonight, tonight's probably one of the harder letters uh, to read between this and the church in Thyatira, um, or, or uh, sorry, the church in uh, Smyrna, Sardis. Sorry, it's the church in Sardis. I've got all the churches mixed up in my head right now. But uh, so we're doing the church in Laodicea tonight, and if you'll open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter three and verse. 15 or 14. All right, Revelation chapter 3 and verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works, you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy gold for me. Gold, uh, to buy for me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich in white garments, so that you may clothe yourselves, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and sob to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time, and we thank you for your word. God, teach us. That's what we want. Lord, we want to learn from you. God, we, we don't want to just read something and talk about it, but God, we want to learn it. We want to understand it and apply it. So help us with that, Holy Spirit. And uh, we just pray now to glorify you in this time, in Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, I read a story of a a businessman who moved over slightly on a flight as as uh, the plane was very crowded, and he moved over slightly so a young man could sit down on the plane. And they both fastened their seatbelts, and the the bu- the businessman could naturally ask uh, whether the young man was traveling on business or pleasure, and the young man responded, pleasure. I, I'm actually on my honeymoon. And the businessman was like, your honeymoon? Uh, where's your wife? And the, uh, the the young man responded, oh, she's a few rows back. Um, the, the, the plane was full, so we, had, we couldn't get seats together. And so the businessman said, as they, they, they hadn't started rolling yet, he said, you know what? If you want, I can move to, to her seat. I'll trade seats with her. And his response was, um, you know, that's okay. I've been talking to her all week not a good not a good way to start out a marriage you know and and tonight as we we talk about the church in Laodicea we've been talking about this message to the church and the things that we can apply as we look at these letters to the churches to us now remember when we're talking about church we're not talking about the building we're not even talking about just the corporate fellowship we're really talking about the individual believer and as we as we study these churches we have to ask ourselves lord is this me Lord, how, what do I need to change in my life? How do I please you more? And, and we've seen the, from the church in Ephesus, that the church that had lost its first love, that we we're to love Christ first. The church is not to be compromised. The church is to love the word of God and put it first. And, of course, today in the church in Laodicea, we want to we understand that the church is to be responsive. Responsive. See, today we're going to have a church that is completely apathetic to the Lord. Let me show you where Laodicea is real fast. Laodicea is inland from Philadelphia. You just kind of go south and inland, and there you find Laodicea. Now, I want to point out to you, uh, and if you're having trouble finding it, you can see Ephesus on the far left. You come up the river, if you can see that. There you go. There's Laodicea. And then just beyond Laodicea is the city of Colossus, which Paul wrote his letter 30-some years earlier to the, the church in Colossus. He wrote the The letter of Colossians, and so in fact, in the letter of Colossians, Paul mentions Laodicea a couple times. He even tells Laodicea to trade to trade the letter of Colossians with the letter of Laodicea. Now we don't know; we don't have a book of uh, an epistle of Laodicea. So some some think that maybe this was the letter to Ephesus that got also brought with them to to Laodicea, and then they were supposed to trade up letters and, and read those letters. We don't really know. But Colossians, in that letter to Colossians, Paul says a couple things, and we're gonna just, I'm just going to read these two things to you before we start um, getting deep into this text. But in the letter to Colossians, Paul says, i am got to get there real fast. In chapter 2, verse 1, he says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. And so we learn right there in the very beginning that Paul never actually made it to Colossus or to Ephesus. Paul actually met someone in Ephesus. He got the gospel. He took it into Colossus as a missionary. And then, of course, in chapter 4 and verse 15, Paul says this to the Laodiceans. He says, give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and to the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read to the church in of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And that's what I was talking about earlier. So Paul had had some interaction with the church of Laodicea. Now, of course, we're 30-some years later uh, after Paul had corrected some, some, some problems going on in Colossus. And Colossus was dealing with an issue of who Jesus was. There were some false teachers who had come into the church and they were, they were saying, well, you know, Christ isn't really a physical being. And it and they, they was kind of almost predecessors to the, what the Gnostics believed about Christ not being physical, that uh, Christ wasn't really God, and so on. And so in let, Paul's letter to the Colossians, he's really correcting all that. And now we have this letter to the church in Laodicea 30-some years after Paul wrote his letter. And it's amazing because we can think like, man, if Paul wrote me a letter, I would probably be like, okay, cool, we're gonna get this in shape and we're gonna we're gonna be good, right? How quickly apathy sets in. Apathy is so quick to set in, and, and apathy kills us. Apathy is a rut. And you know what they say about ruts? Ruts are graves with no end. They're just continuous graves that you're stuck in. I uh, had the privilege of going to a conference yesterday at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. And uh, this conference was a a church security conference, and I learned a lot, a lot of stuff I probably didn't want to know, but now I know, and so I've got to do something with it. But um, uh, we went there, and uh, the keynote speaker's name was Carl Chen, and, and Carl was involved in two church incidents involving gunmen. The first incident happened in 1996 at the Focus on the Family Building in Colorado Springs, and prior to the incident, Carl was expressing how he really had no love for law enforcement. In fact, he thought law enforcement was a waste of money. This was, <laughs> these were his words. And, and he, uh, he had a disrespect for them. And uh, he just felt like they, they didn't, they, they really just, all they do is give people tickets and get in people's business when they have no business being there. That was his opinion of law enforcement. And then, of course, uh, when it came to security, he thought security, why do we need security? We don't need to have any security. Well, being the building manager of the Focus on the Family building, Doctor Dobson, James Dobson, had at the time was the head of Focus on the Family, and they had received some death threats, some bomb threats, and and uh, he thought they were for the most part a joke. In fact, one time he recalled getting a bomb threat, so he went and got Doctor Dobson's keys, went out to his car, walked out, saw that there was only one set of footprints in the snow, got in the car, started it up, and drove it around the corner and reparked it, and uh, later when he. Did call it into the police just so they would know. They, um, he got told what for from the bomb squad guy uh, for getting a car that could have blown up. Well, he had no respect for security or any of this stuff. And then um, one day uh, as they're getting ready to institute a new security protocol because, not because of focus on the family, but because of the lawyers who were on the fourth floor were saying, hey, wait a minute, we can't keep getting these threats and there's no security here. So, he had been instituting this new security program as the building manager and engineer. And uh, he gets a phone call the day before they're supposed to go online with the security program. And so for, the sec, for the front receptionist, saying, Can you please come down to the, the main lobby? So he's okay. So he comes down, he's walking down, and he said, I remember I was looking at my watch, and all of a sudden I look up, and there's a guy holding a gun with a, a switch. And a bag full of explosives. Turns out the explosives later on were flares. And, and he said, I never felt more caught with my pants down. I thought, that's an interesting way to put that when somebody's got a gun in your face, you know. So they went through this hostage crisis. And uh, during that time, uh, the SWAT team ended up coming to the rescue. And, and he also ended up with a great respect for law enforcement at that point. Called up his brother who was in law enforcement and apologized for everything he ever said about law enforcement. Fast forward now to 2007, he's now working as the chief, the head of security at New Life Christian Church in Colorado Springs. New Life Christian Church, 16,000 member church, huge, huge church. It's where the world prayer uh, headquarters are um, for that organization. And uh, Jack Hayford was preaching that Sunday. And uh, on that Sunday, they had a gunman come into the church. Rather than, than Carl Chen being apathetic about security as soon as the gunshots were fired not only did they hear gunshots happening in the parking lot but but their security team moved into all their protocols moving people to safety getting people out of the hallways uh, this gunman had intended to murder many many people he had all sorts of magazines in his backpack and two handguns carl chin came running in with his weapon drawn meeting the gunman in the hallway And trying to figure out how he was going to take out a gunman gunman with a rifle with his little .32 uh, caliber weapon. And uh, it turns out another security guard had come around from the side. They were able to take out that gunman and um, save a lot of people's lives in the process. What a difference apathy makes. When, When we're apathetic and unresponsive, we might as well be calling in the corner. But when we're responsive we can make a huge difference. And that's what Jesus is calling the church in Laodicea to, see, to, see to tonight. Notice what the title is here of Christ. The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. The Amen. The word Amen, um, it means um, let it be, even so, uh, so let it be. So when we pray and we say Amen or Amen, however you want to say it, when we say that, it comes from the Greek word, and the Greek word is very different. It's amen. Uh, <laughs> it comes from that word, and it just means let it be. And then also, that comes that's actually a Hebrew transliteration from a Hebrew word to be, I agree, even so, yes, let it be. And uh, so, so when we talk about, when we say amen at the end of our prayers, we're saying, yes, I'm in agreement with what's being prayed for. We're all praying in agreement, amen, let it be, Lord, let it be. And here we have Jesus, the, the great amen, the, 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 the one who is the final point, the one who is, uh, will, will, is the final authority, the faithful and true witness. The faithful and true witness. He's the true one. In, in John 14, 6, it says, I am the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Truth. When we think about truth, we have to think about the source that we're getting truth from. I mean, college students and high school students are constantly being told, don't trust Wikipedia for your resources, for your your, your uh, uh, papers and things like that, because Wikipedia can be a corrupted resource, and it, and it can be. Uh, that doesn't mean it's all bad, but, but we have to question the source of the information. Sad thing when it comes to religion, what we do is we go... Oh, well, you know, religion's not something we can really know for sure. So it's kind of whatever you want to believe, religion. We can't really know truth because there's different views. And all that really is is a cop-out saying, I don't want to know. Because I want to continue believing the God built in my own image. I want to believe God to be the person I want him to be, not the person that he is that's what, it's just a cop out to say that we can't know things for sure because Jesus Christ says I am the truth. And and I think that any person who's really going to study or at least think about religion has to consider his statement I am the way the truth and the life. Because if you don't consider the statement, and you're just right now I mean he's either telling the truth, a liar or a lunatic as Josh or, uh, actually before Josh McDowell it was um, C.S. Lewis that proposed this argument, he, he is either that liar, he's not the truth, or he's a crazy person. You know, have you ever met a, I actually met the Apostle Paul, believe it or not, one time. He came to the church. <laughs> and uh, Apostle Paul came into the church asking for a shower. He didn't have a place to shower. And I, I didn't know he was the Apostle Paul yet. So I, I said, well, yeah, you know, we, we do have a shower here. Sure, I'll let you use the shower. And sometimes we'll we'll let a, a person who needs a shower use it and whatnot. And so he used the shower, came out. But I kind of waited around to make sure that, you know, he didn't get into trouble or anything like that. And uh, then he started telling me, well, listen, I'm here on behalf of God. Oh, okay, he's schizophrenic. This guy's crazy. And he's like, I'm the Apostle Paul. I'm like, oh, sir, you're not the Apostle Paul. And, uh, I, and I knew I couldn't argue with him much. And I ended up taking him down the street and dropping him off at where, where he wanted to go. But um, he was a liar. No, wait, he wasn't a liar. He was a lunatic, this man who claimed to be the Apostle Paul. And I knew that because I know that the Apostle Paul died and he's, there's no promises. I know the Word of God. So, yeah, this is not the Apostle Paul. He was a lunatic. But then again, there's somebody who says, I speak on behalf of the church, thus says the Lord. And they start prophesying, yeah, you're a liar. You don't speak on behalf of the church. You're a false prophet. So we can kind of pick those things out. Then, of course, there's the actual idea that he really is the truth. Jesus really is the truth. And we should consider these things because if he is really the truth and the true witness, you're going to have to explain what you did with the truth. You're going to have to think about, what. It, well, you know, I just didn't want to believe it. Oh, God, come on, how can we figure out all these things? Well, I gave you Jesus to figure it all out. I gave you the truth. I gave you the, I gave you the solution to your sin, the cross. I gave you the solution to death, the resurrection. I've given it to you, but you in your apathy have rejected it all and blown it off and said, no, I don't know. I don't know. Jesus alone is the true witness, the faithful and true witness. He is the one who can look at the church and judge rightly. He can look into my heart and say, Dave, you're being apathetic. I need you to respond. Dave, you don't love me first. You've been loving the ministry, but not me. Dave, you're compromised. Come back. Because he's the faithful, true witness. Lastly, this verse in his title, The Beginning of God's Creation, this, this verse does not mean that he is the first one created. I, I want to help you understand that. The word here is RK for beginning, and it really means um, it's really the idea of preeminency. If you go over to Colossians chapter 1 real fast, I want to read this with you in Colossians 1. Paul, writing his letter to the church in Colossus, which Laodicea would have received, he writes this concerning Jesus Christ who's in question. Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. That's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is not only the head of the church, but he's the creator of all things. By him all things were made, for him they were made, and to him. He is not created. He is the preeminent one. He had no beginning. He's the Ancient of Days. He's Jesus Christ. And, of course, in this letter to the Colossian church, Paul helps iron this, iron this out for the church at so they don't they don't fall off into heresy. That the, These cult leaders can't lead them astray, these false teachers. But it's so important that we recognize that Jesus alone, he is the preeminent one. He alone is preeminent. So, therefore, he has authority to speak to us. I wonder have you given him authority in your life? The fact is you're a created being with a free choice. You can make your choices. You can choose to reject his authority or receive it. The Bible says we've we've fallen into sin. We've our mindset has become warped. But we have the opportunity to allow him to speak into our life. We, we do this with other people. We we give people authority to speak into our life or 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 we take that authority from some people. My wife, she's got authority. Whether I give it to her or not, she takes it. You know, she's, all right, Dave, listen up. No. But you have somebody in your life that when they speak into your life, you're like, okay, I should listen to this. I hope you have somebody like that. And I hope, first and foremost, it's the Lord Jesus Christ because he has the authority to speak to his church. He is the preeminent one, the beginning of God's creation. Notice what he says, I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you would either be cold or hot. So, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. It's so interesting about the church in Laodicea. This idea of cold and hot, and um, Bible um, scholars have been looking into this for years. That the way Laodicea was situated is they had a they didn't have natural water source. So in Coloss. They had this great cold water source. They were right off the river. They had great water. Laodicea was inland a little bit. It was more it was established based on the trade route. Uh Antiochus II built the city, named it after his wife. And it was uh it was right there on the trade route. Biggest banks. They were there in Laodicea. And so anybody who came in from, from Asia, from the east, they would They would stop there, trade up money, trade up goods, and then continue on. And anybody coming from the west to the east, they'd stop in Laodicea, trade up their money, do all that sort of stuff. So it was a huge trading place. And Laodicea was actually not only known for its banking and its wealth, but its uh, fine clothes. Laodicea made the clothes for the rich people. It was the South Coast Plaza of Asia. That's Yeah, the South Coast Plaza, yep. That's the place I was trying to remember the mall that I couldn't afford anything. That was the one. So, <laughs> so <laughs> you know, you know, you're in, a, in dangerous territory when when you have all these names you've never heard of. And You're like, oh wait, these are designers. Okay, <laughs> I gotta I gotta head over to the, to the Orange Mall. No, <laughs> there's no Old Navy or what. No. Um, so, uh, it was it was the the prime place to get the fine clothes, and it was also known for being the first place to have. An ophthalmology school. It had a medical school that uh, one of their, the Laodiceans had discovered a new salve to put in your eyes from the, from the elements around the area. And it would help you with your vision and seeing clearly. And it was, everybody knew Laodicea was the place where this salve came from. That was Laodicea. And and so with Laodicea being inland and away from the water, it had a lot going for it. But it had this water coming through a lead pipeline that the Romans laid for them. And uh, it was this lukewarm water. It, it it wasn't hot. It wasn't cold. It was just this lukewarm water all the time. And, of course, think first century. You don't have water heaters. So you're never really going to have hot water. And you're never really going to have cold water. It's just this lukewarm constant temperature. And uh, so Jesus Jesus shows that he knows their condition in this letter. He knows their condition in and out. He talks about that they're neither hot nor cold. They say they're rich, but they're impoverished. They're wretched. They're poor. They're blind. He knows full well their condition. It's almost like he's a physician speaking to the church in Laodicea. Have you ever gone to the physician? And and you go there because you're sick, right? I, uh, I, I don't go to the physician or the doctor's unless I'm sick. And uh, I, I was telling the youth kids that, uh, on Friday night, I have a doctor who I can never get into. I call and they say, okay, we can schedule for next week. And I'm like, what? I'm sick now. I don't need to come next week. By next week I'll be better. Well, then you're okay then. <laughs> you know, But uh, I, I go to the doctor when I'm sick. And you know what? When I am sick, I really appreciate that doctor. I'll tell you, when I can get into the doctor and see the doctor, I'm like, oh, man. Thank you for giving me the medicine I need or taking care of me. I've never gone to the doctor and and he's saying to me, oh, yeah, you know, you're sick. You really need this medicine. And I was like, what? And just punched him in the face. I wouldn't do that because the doctor knows my condition. He's gone through methodically checking me out. Now, if I went to a doctor and I'm saying, doctor, I'm having breathing problems. I'm an asthmatic. I need something to clear up my lungs. I'm, I'm wheezing all the time, whatever the case is. And he said, I know what the problem is. You have an ingrown toenail. I'd be like, we need a new doctor. You know, that would definitely be something I would ask for. Because clearly this doctor does not know how to look at my condition. My sister is a neonatologist, so she works in the, the with preemie babies all the time. And um, she tells me stories. Like sometimes when I talk to her, she'll say, it was a good week. It was a tough week, you know, if they lost a baby and whatnot. But um I'm so amazed by what they can do with these premature um, babies that are born and how she, I think she said that 24 weeks, if a baby's born after 24 weeks, they can pretty much keep it alive. It doesn't mean it won't have some problems, but they can, they can keep it alive and they can uh, take care of that baby at that point in time, which is quite incredible. And uh, as she tells me about things that she has to do, like intubate a baby, that's where you puncture a hole in their lungs so they can breathe. Uh, from their side. And, and, and I was asking her, like, oh my gosh, they're little, little. I mean, these are preemie babies. So they're little tiny things. And she's going to go in there with the, the tube and mm, pop that in there and intubate the baby. And okay, now I can breathe. We're good. When the baby was coding. I'm like, wow, that sounds crazy. And sometimes they even have to intubate multiple times, but you can't intubate where it was previously intubated. So you have to find a new spot. And on top of that, once they have intubated, there, there's these arteries that are running down on babies the way they are. And if you miss by even just a hair, baby's going to die. I'm like, man, I'm so glad we have physicians that know this stuff and can save these lives. So I, I would say if a physician is taking care of, okay, yeah, <laughs> I can't do this, you do it, right? Tell me what to do. You're the authority here. Tell me how to take care of my child. Tell me what I should do with the child at this point. It's sick. Jesus is approaching the church later to see us, saying, I know your problem. I know where you're at. I know your sickness. I know you. And here's why I know you intimately I know that your city's known for its wealth, I know your city's known for its clothing, and I know that your city's known for healing sick eyes. But here's the problem, church. You can't see. You're blind. You're actually impoverished. And you're naked. Here's the problem. The question is, will you listen? Will you listen as Jesus breaks this down for us? I, you say I'm rich but, and I prosper and I need nothing, not realizing that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, and blind. Look, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. I counsel you to buy gold for me. I mean, it's kind of a play on words here, right? Why would we buy gold? And, and if, if we have a lesser gold, how could we afford a better gold with our lesser gold, right? How can we find this refined, how can we afford the refined gold when our gold itself is not refined? And what Jesus is saying, listen, I know that you think you've got works that are going to save you. I recognize that you think you're doing all this stuff, whatever it is. By the way, did you notice this is the only church that Jesus does not talk about, I know your works. Actually, he says, I know your poverty. You can say, I've got good works behind me. I'm basically a good person. But Jesus is letting us know that your works aren't good enough. You You need a greater work. And it's nothing that you yourself can do. You've got to get it from me. I've got the gold refined in the fire. I've done the work on the cross come to me come to me I you say you can see but you're blind think about that whole idea there's so many metaphors of the blind scene in the Bible that first blind man that Jesus healed and everybody said whoa wait a minute did Jesus was he really born blind yeah he was they brought in neighbors to testify that yeah this guy was born blind he was born blind Jesus healed him and and they they start questioning this man in John chapter nine and He says, here's the deal. I don't know whether Jesus is the Messiah or not, but here is what I know. I was blind, but now I see. Jesus wants us to have sight. He wants us to have that vision that we can see the Lord, see his righteousness, know him. But sometimes we're so blinded by our sin and our rejection of truth. And I want to encourage you guys to, to... To take an account of yourselves. Are you blind? Are you making excuses for your unbelief? Or are you ready to see? Because it's only in Jesus Christ that he can give you the solve that you need. What about your nakedness? Listen, Laodicea, I know that you think you've got all these great clothes and these fine linen, but the fact is, is you're clothed, you're naked, you're laid bare. The idea of being laid bare is you're fully exposed Your sin is known. You're fully exposed. There's none righteous, not even one, the Bible tells us. No matter how well we try to be good, you yourself, even when I say the word sin, can pop into mind areas in your life where you know you have done wrong. You know you have. And there's no amount of good work that will get rid of the wrongdoing. You, You just know it. You know, here's where I failed. Here's where I've done wrong. I try to be a good person. Well, that's great. I'm glad you try to be a good person. But the fact is, you cannot cover your own sin. And Jesus says, Here's the deal. I'm going to clothe you with white garments, I'm going to clothe you in righteousness. The Bible talks about this a lot. It says, Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make you white as snow. Ezekiel, or um, in um, Joshua the high priest, When he comes before the Lord and the Lord says, Satan is there accusing him and he says, look at him. He's got these dirty, soiled garments on. And God says, remove those soiled garments and put on a new robe, a white robe. That's what God does for us. He cleans us up. I know it sounds easy. It sounds like, wait, I just got to trust in Jesus. Yeah, you just got to trust in Jesus. You've got to fully put your trust in him and he will clean you, cleanse you, make you clean. would that you clothe yourself so that you may clothe yourselves. The shame of your nakedness not, may not be seen and solved to anoint your eyes so that you may see those whom I love and I, re, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. I love this idea here: is Jesus reproves and disciplines those whom he loves. And this is what I was saying at the beginning. These are not letters of judgment. These are letters of love. They, any parent will tell you that they correct their child because they love their child. Now, sometimes because parents are also sinners, they go overboard with correcting or they just lose their temper or whatever the case is. But for the most part, parents know that if I love my child, I will correct my child, I will discipline my child so that they don't run out into the street, so that they don't hurt themselves, so they don't burn themselves, so they listen, they learn to listen and heed authority. These are important things. And and, and as we learn these things, we'll... We're we're guaranteed a longer life in the land because we're not going to end up in jail, and so any parent knows to discipline his kids, and and it's a matter of love. And Jesus is saying here in His love, those whom I love, I reprove and I discipline. So be zealous and repent. Think about that idea of being zealous and repent. It's when you're talking to someone who's apathetic, and I, I've dealt with apathetic people a lot in my lifetime. I was a youth pastor, now am again for so long. And uh, you get apathetic kids, and they're, like, the hardest to connect with because you're like, hey, uh, I'm Dave. Cool, whatever. Uh, nice to meet you. Glad you're here. Like, oh, come on. <laughs> like, so then you find yourself trying to do, like, tricks for them. and <laughs> oh, Look, I just blew this up. Isn't that cool? Whatever. You're like, well, come on. How do I get your attention? Be zealous in your repentance. When God reproves or corrects, turn quickly and run because it is God saying, look over here, turn away from what you're doing, come back to me. And you need to respond like that because the longer you take to respond, the harder your heart gets, the more you shut yourself off from the Lord. So he says, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Interesting that Jesus gives us this idea of hot or cold at the beginning of the letter. I wish that you were either cold or hot, but because you're neither, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And I um, I don't know if you've ever had lukewarm food, but the the thing that I do that regular, I like coffee. And I, I like coffee either hot or cold. I don't like lukewarm coffee. In fact, when I um, get up in the morning sometimes and I'm studying and I make my hot coffee, I'm drinking it and just sitting there. Um, I kind of forget how long I've been studying for. And I go to take that next sip of coffee and it's like lukewarm. And I'm like, Ugh, and I'm like spitting it back into the cup. I'm like, Ugh, this is gross. And I want to go dump it out and make new coffee, right? I, I, I totally understand what Jesus is saying here. That it just is gross. Your apathy is gross. And I want to spit it out of my mouth. Vomit it out of my mouth because of your apathy. Don't be apathetic. Now, does that mean that God wants cold people? And, I, and I've heard the, the talk about that, well, cold is good for something, so maybe he doesn't want people to be cold. And I don't think that. I think it's talking about spiritual climates. And he's, I, I think Jesus is saying a, a person who's cold to the gospel, they're frozen or frigid, they haven't heard the gospel, they're actually in a better place than the apathetic person. See, the cold person hasn't heard the good news of God. They haven't been exposed to it. And when they hear the good news of God, they can see his goodness and they can respond. But an apathetic person, a person who may have grown up in church, heard this gospel message all the time, whatever the case is, or they're like, yeah, church is cool, whatever. I come to church on Christmas. That's what I do, you know? Um, or I, I go to church on Easter. That's my thing. And they're just so used to hearing it, there's no change, there's no conviction. In fact, they've got deaf ears to the Word of God. They don't want God's conviction. That's the apathetic, the lukewarm person. And, of course, ultimately what God wants us to be is hot. He wants a flame lit under us. He wants us burning brightly for His kingdom. We want to have an incendiary fellowship, a fellowship not literally that's burning on fire if you're you're not used to Christianese, so to speak, but... We want a fellowship that is hot, that loves the Lord, that loves his word, that is responsive to the Lord. So when the Lord speaks, we go, all right, Lord, I get that. I've got to change directions. I've been going my, doing my own thing or getting off track here. Lord, I've been getting too much into doing the work but not loving you. I've got to turn back. I got a phone call from my brother-in-law this week and he said, uh, <laughs> it was awesome. The Lord is so good. My brother-in-law called me. He's been dealing with a lot of stuff. So he's been calling me. I've been praying with him and and working through things, issues that have been going on in his life. And uh, he said, um, and part of him dealing with his stuff is last spring he really came back to the Lord and had this revival. And God has really been doing a wonderful work in his life. And he said, um, hey, I was praying this morning, and I was praying for you, and I think God wants me to tell you something. And I said, okay, (laughs) what is it? And he said, um, and I I believe that he literally was praying and God put this on his heart to tell me. He said, Dave, I believe that you're getting too busy and not making time for the Lord. And I said, you got it. You got it. And guess what I'm preaching on this Sunday? Apathy, church in Laodicea. And I said, you know what, it's been a crazy two weeks. Harvest Fest, there's all this stuff going on. And uh, so my brother-in-law said, I want to encourage you to spend time with the Lord and put him first. And I said, thank you for that. I needed that. I really needed that. And I, and I got off the phone, prayed, thank the Lord because the Lord loves me. He reproves and disciplines those he loves. I thank the Lord for reminding me. Dave, slow down. Do, focus on the Lord. And that is what God does for us. He wants us hot. He doesn't want us lukewarm. This is a challenge. This is an everyday challenge, by the way. This is not something fixed and done. This is a, I wake up in the morning, Lord, help me to live for you. I finish breakfast, Lord, help me to live for you today. Isn't that amazing? Paul says, pray without ceasing. Pray continually. And we tend to think of pray, we're so... We're so uh, small-minded when we think of prayer. We think of prayer as me sitting down, folding my hands, closing my eyes right before I go to bed or whatever the case is, or maybe in the morning, closing, folding my hands, closing my eyes. But we don't think of prayer in the sense of biblical prayer. Biblical prayer is prayer without ceasing. And God's not saying, I want you sitting in a room all day with your hands folded and your eyes closed. No, everything you're doing, everywhere you're walking, every place you're driving, you're speaking with the Lord. Having that fellowship and that communion with God. Just pray without ceasing. Uh, you're driving around. I don't know if this ever happened to you, but somebody God reminds you of somebody. And you say, well, Lord, I want to pray for that person. Pray without ceasing. Having that fellowship. And we have to pray continually, Lord, help me not to be apathetic. Help me to be alive, responsive to you, and in line with your will. I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears me opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers can sit down on my throne. That's amazing God. He doesn't say, hey, the one who conquers, okay, you know, you kind of screwed up so you, you lost some of your place here. <laughs> so you're going to No, he says the one who conquers, guess what? You're reigning with me. But wait a minute, didn't I screw up? Yeah, I know you screwed up. You responded. You are a conqueror, a victor in Christ. The one who conquers. No matter what your screw-ups are, you're zealous, be zealous and repent and Jesus does the work. He does the covering. He does the building. There's a famous painting here by Holman. And uh go ahead and turn off the lights real fast. I'm gonna turn off the lights and show you this painting here. This painting is um yeah. It's actually called the light of the world, this painting. And um what I like about this painting is you see Jesus, and of course the moon is kind of set as his halo. But you see Jesus in the middle of the night, and, and everything around looks kind of dead. The, the, the plants and the weeds are growing, and it looks like, actually, when I look at the doorway to this house, I see an abandoned house. I don't see a friendly and open house, and it's dark at night. Um, it just doesn't look like a place where I want to be at all. It doesn't look like a friendly place. But we see Jesus there holding the light, coming to the door, knocking on the door. And when I think about this painting, I think that is just like Jesus Christ. He meets us in our darkness and our messiness. No matter where we're at, no matter how well we prepared our house for him, he comes and he knocks at the door of our heart. And the promise is, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens up the door, I will come in and eat with him or have fellowship with him. And he with me. Notice it's not about how well the housekeeper has done. It's just about Jesus coming and saying, I'm here. Let me in. Let me change your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you so much for your goodness. Jesus Christ, we welcome you as the Lord of our life. And Lord God, we ask that you would come in. Come in and do a new work within us. Break us out of our apathy. Lord, help us to seek you first and be an incendiary fellowship. And if there's anyone in this room who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ who wants to invite him in, it's so simple. You just say, Lord Jesus, come save me. I welcome what you've done on that cross. I'm ready to believe in you and follow you. I repent of my sin. Thank you, Lord. We just ask this in Jesus' name.